Welcome to the Warrior Mama podcast, as we learn how to apply God's Word to our lives in motherhood, finding in big and small ways that the truth of the gospel applies not just to our lives as moms, but also to our children's lives, so that as we stand anchored in Him, we mother confidently with our hearts at rest. I'm so glad you're joining me today at the kitchen table. Welcome back to the kitchen table. We are in the middle of a series where we have been talking about how the gospel actually informs our motherhood in very specific areas. We've spent some time helping understand what the gospel is for mothers. We've spent some time understanding that we often will hear words of condemnation and we need to be able to discern those from the words of conviction of our Lord. So the Spirit will give us words of conviction. The enemy will actually want to defeat us completely, take us out, discourage us. We need to be able to see the difference there. And then we've begun very specific work in different areas of motherhood. And we're going to continue this over the next few weeks and episodes, looking at how does the gospel come to play? So last week we talked about how does the gospel actually inform, or in other words, how does the gospel give us insight when our kids are fighting with each other? And all summer long, here at the Kimsey House, we will be dealing with that. (laughs) And this week, we're going to be talking about how does the gospel give us insight? How does it become the foundation of the way we mother our teenage or tween children who are struggling emotionally? Now, I want to, at the very outset of this, say some very clear parameters around this, okay? As a parent who has walked with a child who has struggled with some severe emotional struggles, she had, has had depression, she has had anxiety, she has struggled in her thought life with all of that, I, I want you to understand that I'm putting this boundary box around what we're talking about today. And what we are talking about today is when your child is experiencing the typical moodiness of our teenagers in the way that they do, the typical angry outbursts that they often have, the typical ways that they will withdraw from you and try to be separate from you and want to reject you or maybe even give you that stiff arm treatment. And we all experience that. That's what we're talking about today. We also, many of us may, be walking with teenagers who are struggling with a great deal more, where they're being beset with anxious thoughts or depressive thoughts and ideas, and we need to understand that that is a whole different ballgame. What we're going to talk about today will bear fruit in that. I promise you the gospel doesn't change. It will It will help you, Mama, if you are walking those very, very painful roads of walking with a child who's struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety. It will walk, the gospel will walk with you. Jesus will be what you need, but you also need help. As someone who had to have help and wise people and counseling and therapy and medicine 
and all sorts of wise people in our world when our little one was walking those roads. I want you to hear from the very beginning of today that the gospel was my lifeline. Jesus, in this exact passage of scripture, helped me to understand the boundary lines in which I walked as a mom with a child who was struggling with depression and suicide anxiety. But we're not talking about that level of emotion today. We're talking about what we often experience in those tween and teenage years as our children are beginning to push against the boundary lines, seeking independence, seeking to become their own person, seeking to understand their, you know, who they are becoming. And in that, there's a lot of emotion that is wrapped up in that. So we're going to be looking at that today. How do we respond? How do we view it so that we can apply the gospel to it? So that instead of it being a horrible thunderstorm moment where both of us begin to get angry and they're fussing and now we're fussing back at them, we can have a gospel-centered perspective. And we can walk in such a way that we actually offer hope and a lifeline in Jesus Christ. So I want to take a couple minutes and remind you of a couple of things. We have centered this down in that passage in Matthew where Jesus says, listen, you need to build your house upon the rock, upon a foundation that will not shift, will not move when the storms come and the winds blow and the rains pour down because those times will happen. So we are going to have stormy weather with our tweens and teens. We will. There's not been a single one. So far, I have six children who have walked into the teen years. I have three who have walked out of the teen years. And not a single one of them has missed the stage. Not a single one of them just skipped over it and went from being that just super loving and kind and oh, I just want to be with you, mommy, eight-year-old, and we're a kind and loving, and I, oh, I just want to be with you, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old. Every single one of them has had moments where they've withdrawn, gotten angry, gotten moody, irritable, short-tempered, and kept me at arm's length. So what do we do in those moments? Because my natural reaction in those moments is I have two, I actually personally have two different ways that I react. I will, first of all, respond usually by my own retreat. So I, my personality is one who I just, I really want everybody to have fun. I want everybody to like me. And so when I begin to perceive that somebody is not having fun because they're fussy, moody, angry, withdrawn, and then I begin to think, oh my goodness, it is leveled at me, I'm the problem, I will retreat. Now, if I'm pushed fully where that anger is in my face and that response is at me and the rude words are flying at me, then I can get mad back and I can kind of attack back. I will. Straight up, full confession, that's what I'll do. But if, if not, if I just feel like, oh, 
they're a little bit moody, I will retreat away from them because I really don't want to be in a mess and in a just a messy place with my child. So I'll just kind of avoid it. So we're going to talk though today about, we're going to look at all the common conversations that are around our teenagers and around our tweens. Like what are the common things that we're all hearing, these recommendations that we should be doing? And then we're going to look at what does the gospel tell us to do? And what we're going to do is we're going to understand that it may be that there are great pieces of advice out there in the world, right? But we want to found our methodology of interacting with our moody teenagers in the Word of God, in the gospel. It may echo what the world is saying, but when the storm comes and your child is still moody for the third, fifth, tenth week, you know, however long it's taking, and you're beginning to wonder, you will know the truth that God calls you to, and it will not cause you to flounder and be maybe insecure in your motherhood or doubt your motherhood or be ashamed of your motherhood, because instead you will know it is founded on what the Word of God says. See, when I found my motherhood and what I should do in motherhood based on just what somebody tells me some piece of advice, it's very easy for me to flip to a different piece of advice when I don't feel like this one's working. So the whole point of this series is to get our foundation rock solid in the Word of God and then to move upward from there. So let's take a look. Remember the overarching principles. These are our concepts about motherhood, the way the gospel informs us, because we're going to see these come into play once we settle into what God's Word says and calls us to as moms with moody kids. And we're going to be able to look then at what the world says we should be doing with our moody teenager. And we're going to be able to make a very wise choice based on the Word of God. Okay? So let's get started. So the six principles that we've already covered back a few weeks. Number one, your child has great worth to God. In and of himself, no matter how moody he is, no matter what kind of a day she is having, Isaiah 43 declares that your child is precious and loved by God. Number two, we're going to separate the sin from the sinner. Our child's sin is not their identity. So we're going to stop saying, you are the moodiest person I know. Or we're going to stop saying, you are so surly, you're so angry all the time. You are, we're going to stop that. And instead, we're going to begin to go, God, they are acting moody. They are behaving like they're angry. Help me to understand what is at the root of that. We're going to then go down and say, we're going to look into what's going on in their heart. And we're going to seek in conversations with them to say, what's going on down here at the bottom of your heart that is spilling out as anger or withdrawal, or, you know, fussiness, or irritability. We're going to help dig down, because oftentimes, especially with our teenagers, they just don't know what's down there. They just don't feel happy. (laughs) That's what a lot of mine have said. I just just feel grumpy. And then number four, we're going to know that there's grace and forgiveness that follows repentance. You see, that's the whole, that's the scope of the gospel. And we're going to point our children to that truth. We're going to offer our own grace and forgiveness. 
but really we're going to give them the clear picture that Jesus offers them full grace, total forgiveness, that he calls them to repentance. And then our job is just to offer a hope pivot, just to give them a hand to hold and to give them help in the healing. We're not called to be the healer. We're not called to be their source of strength. And we're not called to be their hope. We're called to pivot them to the one who is all of that, who is Jesus. And finally, number six, we are going to remember every day that we are walking with our fussy kids that God intimately knows their heart. He completely knows what's going on in their mind. He knows everything that lies all down in the deep recesses of whatever's going on that's causing to bubble out all the fussy, anger, rage, melancholy, moodiness that you and I are experiencing when we interact with our child. He knows the bottom of it. And he wants to set them free there. He wants to bring light to that darkness. He wants to show the lies that they're believing so that he can bring truth instead inside of that. He wants to demolish the strongholds that may be trying to wrap around their hearts. And he is absolutely engaged in that. And we get to call out to him. And we get to cry out to him when it's been a really, really rough season with a child. And he promises in his word. He says, ask me and I will tell you the things you don't know. Just ask me. So we covered that already in in an old episode. Go back and you can see the fullness of it. You can see where each one of those anchors in the word of God because you need to know where God says it. Don't take my opinion for it. Don't take the way I've said it and even presented it today. Go back to the word, dig into the word, stand on the word. Because when the storms come, you need the word. You don't need my words. (laughs) But today, we're going to talk now about what do we do when our teenager or even our middle schooler, our little tweens, begin to withdraw, get angry. And again, we're talking within the normal scope of emotion. So what's going on, right? We're going to break it down. Well, number one, there's hormones. Like it or not, your little one is having a lot of hormones zipping through their body, and it can cause a lot of this, right? Number two, our children are going through a natural stage of wanting and needing freedom. So they are wanting and needing to become more independent of us. And so there begins to be this this push and pull, this tug for, like, give me more privileges, give me more abilities, allow me to push against it. It's almost like, remember when your child was two, they also kind of went through this stage. And, you know, if you were anything like me, you just didn't want them to go through that stage because it just made life difficult. So we have this really infamous scene with one of our kids where he just wanted to do his own seatbelt and the entire family remembers this one night because it went on for so long and he was so sure that he had it and he could do it. He could not tolerate the idea of anybody else helping him. And some of that moodiness and some of the emotionalism that we now see again in these pre-adolescent and adolescent years is stemming from that same concept. They're now ready to take on more. They're now ready to become more their own person, have their own independence, and yet they're not quite ready. They're not quite as able as they want to be. There's a frustration inside of that. There is a desire inside of that that is good. 
We want our kids to become independent. We want them to become their own people. We want them to strike out and to be bold, right? But right now it's coupled with that but, isn't it? Another thing that happens is our kids at this age are often not sleeping as much as they need. They're experiencing high levels of growth, high levels of hormone, and all of that demands a sleep environment that oftentimes they are not getting. There's a lot more schoolwork in their day, a lot more activities in their day. They're going to bed later, and they're just simply sleep-deprived. And so we see that beginning, beginning to play into how they respond emotionally to us. So what are some of the things, some of the things that we hear? What are some of these common pieces of advice that we will hear? Well, we're, we're going to hear that we just need to keep calm and carry on. Like just stay calm inside of it. Keep going forward. They'll eventually, you know, that emotional outburst will settle back down like it's waves in an ocean. It'll settle back down and calm down again. Don't take it personally, Mom. It's not against you. We can hear, we'll give them some space. Just let them have that space. Change their diet. Maybe they're not eating well enough. Maybe you should make sure they have more sleep. We hear that we should not yell. We should not overpunish. We should praise their good behavior and choose our battles. Right? We should have these low-key chats in the day versus high-pressure, intense conversations. We hear we should... Just spend time with them and listen well to them. Be empathetic and acknowledge their mood, but respect their privacy. Now, a lot of those are great, and a lot of those I actually use inside of my own parenting of my kids. But what I really want to spend this series helping you understand is if all I'm hanging my motherhood hat on is a hook that says, don't yell, don't overpunish, choose your battle, spend time listening and be empathetic. If I'm just taking the advice, then when it doesn't work, I immediately hear inside of my head that I can't make it work, that I'm messing this up, that I don't know what I'm doing. I hear it will never get better This will only get worse. Yours is the only child who is like this. Everybody else can can get their child to listen to them and communicate better. Everybody else can be calm and carry on. Everybody else can do it where they don't take it so personally, Bethany. But you, man, you just take it personally every time, right? I hear that. And when we talked about understanding the condemnation that the enemy wants to bring against you to defeat you, to cause you to be in despair, and to cause you to withdraw from your child, to break relationship, it is absolutely to his delight that you just grab on to these little advice pieces that aren't going to work every single time. Then he can just browbeat you with how bad you are. Or how bad your kid is. And he can keep you distracted from what really I believe that God is calling you and me to be like for our children in this really hard season of their lives. So let's look at a passage of scripture now. And let's lay down some like ground 
you know, some foundational pillars, some foundational pieces of wood that we can stand upon. And then we may come back in and we may layer back in that we're not going to yell or overpunish. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're going to first lay down what is going to be our foundation. What are we going to anchor to in God's Word that is going to inform how we're going to interact with teenagers who are emotional? And we're going to go to 1 Peter 4. And we're going to sit right here. It says, above all, this is verse 8. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, why would that be my passage of Scripture for this? Well, when I was walking through some of these things with actually our first two, our first two are only 19, barely 19 months apart. And so we had two inside of the exact same stage at the exact same time because our second's a girl and she went through everything a little bit faster than our oldest who's a boy. So they kind of hit everything at the same time. And I remember coming across this passage of scripture and thinking, I don't, I don't want, I think they should be this way. This is how they should be. I should like go give them a lecture on this because, you know, I think probably in that moment they were both like separated off into places because, you know, who knows what had happened that day and I was discouraged and I had probably said terrible things as well in response and the Lord brought me to this passage. And so I want us to look at it very quickly because I think it gives us some clear underpinnings that will form our foundation, that we can then begin to build back up some ideas on. Number one, above all. So, above all. No matter what's going on, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. So, why does it, you, why do you think he said above all? <laughs> like, is there any space for there to be a, well, you only have to love one another earnestly if the other person's also acting loving or you only have to love one another earnestly if everybody's being respectful or being kind or being helpful or being engaged that's when you can love every you know love one another earnestly no peter's like no above all above all this happening above all that anybody's doing we're going to keep loving earnestly And then why? He gives us a reason why. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, when when you and I, when you and I respond to our children in a loving tone, even when they are ridiculously rude and disrespectful, it doesn't mean that I have to absorb their rudeness and their disrespect as if it's not happening. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But when I respond in a loving way, It is radically different than when I respond in a reactive way. 
And so God calls us to love first, no matter what. And then secondly, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, why would I say that this is appropriate? So when we are dealing with our teenagers, and there is a lot of interacting with our pre-adolescent and our teenage kids that is all about hospitality. That's all it is. It is acts of service, acts of kindness that go without response back or without gain for us as moms that are truly in some ways just in this tiny little moment laying down your life for another acts of hospitality. But you know, the minute I start grumbling about that act of hospitality, it is no longer an act of hospitality, is it? It's something in which you owe me a certain response back from. So I was doing this to get back from you something that you owe me. So when we begin to say, I'm going to choose with this child who continues to withdraw away from me, I'm going to choose to keep being hospitable, to keep being kind, asking, hey, can I fix you a sandwich? I'll bring it up to your room. Quietly, maybe folding their laundry. Maybe they stick it in the wash. They haven't done anything else with it. And my natural response, honestly, is to roll my eyes and get a little fussy and want to call them down and tell them to get their act together and get their laundry done. And instead, God says, well, Bethany, show hospitality with no grumbling, no eye roll. The eye roll is a grumble. (laughs) And then as each one has gifts, use it to serve one another. You see, you and I are saved. And we know the gifts that God has given us. Some of us are administratively very talented. Other ones of us are discerning. Other ones of us can you know, encourage and exhort. We can speak truth. There are many ways that we, can, that we are called to serve God, right? And we need to bring that inside of our relationship with our children in a way that we are seeking how the Holy Spirit wants us to use our gifts in relationship with our child. And why? So here at the back end of this passage is really the weight of this passage. The biggest the biggest, you know, platform, if you will, that we're going to lay down. So that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see you and I are called to walk with our children in such a way that God is glorified. Not that we're glorified, not that we're always right, not that we're always treated perfectly as the mom who is the queen, queen of all moms, but that God is glorified, that Jesus is lifted high as King of kings and Lord of lords, that we can make that pivot back to the hope that they really have. Because I promise you in this season, when their life feels so much like a roller coaster and they're not sure what end is up from day to night, What they really need is to understand that their God promises he will sustain them, that he promises in Psalms that he will not let their feet slip, that he will steady their walking, he will give strength to their running, that he walks with them every moment of the day, he will never leave them, he will never forsake them, right? So the only way we can do those things is if we actually say, yes, God, in this relationship with my child, I want you to be glorified and not me. 
So I choose to love with all of God's love earnestly working through me. I choose to serve with all the giftings He has given me. I choose to be as hospitable as I possibly can without grumbling and reminding my kid of every way that I've that I'm being hospitable. So practically, what does this look like? Well, there's going to be three areas that we're going to be looking at engaging or relating to our teen in a way that echoes 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, and then probably does look like some of these things that we talked about that the world tells us to do. But we want to be founded on the truth of 1 Peter 4. So number one, you and I are the emotional temperature setters in our home. So the way we interact does set the temperature of how everybody else is going to interact in our home. So a great question to ask yourself, and a great question I ask myself a lot, is would I interact with someone else's child this way? And that question will cool me down faster than any other question. Because the truth is, I am most reactive with my own kids, aren't you? You know, I can, I know their weaknesses and I can stab at them with a weakness if they've stabbed at me with something, they said something verbally mean. If I'm not careful, I can verbally attack them back. But would I do that to another person's child? Mm, most likely not. <laughs> so we, we want to understand that we have the power to speak words of life over our children. And we can meet the hardness of their heart with the words of love and life. And that will change the temperature in our home in that moment. It de-escalates. There's not as much heat coming because we're not contributing to it. Number two, how can I know this child more in his heart of hearts? So that's my second question. My first question, would I speak this way with another person's child? And then secondly, how can I know this child more in her heart of hearts? This is a prayer for wisdom from God. It echoes back to that sixth concept in a gospel-centered motherhood, that God knows the depth of your child's heart, and He wants to show you and enlighten you. You simply need to take the time, and I need to take the time and humble ourselves and say, God... We need your insight. We need to know from you. And thirdly, we're going to be looking at the level of rest in our home. So we look at the emotional temperature in our home. We look at what words of life need to be spoken in our home. And then finally, we look at what level of rest needs to be granted in our home. There is a high disconnection from one another when there is high stimulation whether that stimulation is from activities we do and we're all involved in different things and we're running in a lot of different directions, or that stimulation comes from a lot of screen time, a lot of video game time. Especially here in the summer, especially in our home, I want to be very clear when I say this to you. Like, I really have to be on guard about screen time because it's easy for me to, especially in the late afternoons, to just kind of loosen all parameters and and let screen time be a lot longer than probably is healthy for some of my littlest ones. And what happens is when there is high stimulation, there is high disconnection. We're all on our own things doing our own thing. (laughs) 
and you and I want to help our children rest. And stimulation does not promote rest. So it doesn't matter what that stimulation is. And I'm not just making screens be the the bad guy here. We can have high stimulation and not do screens, and we've just packed our children's schedule with activities. And we're just running from thing to thing to thing. What we want to do is we want to create times and set aside moments for rest that promote connection. And so we look to say, how can I create places where we can just be together? And I know, I know when you have a moody kid, it is hard to want to be with that moody kid because you're never sure what kind of kid you're going to get in that moment. But the more you begin to ask these questions, how am I setting the emotional temperature in my home? How am I speaking words of life consistently over my child in my home? And how am I promoting rest in my home? What will then spin out of that, what will begin to grow out of that is more connection, more relationship, more opportunities to do what we've talked about in the six things that we're looking to do, which is more opportunities just to go, yeah, I totally get it. I know it's hard. I hear you. I know you're struggling. Tell me more about that. I want to hear about it. I'm on your side. I want to be your advocate. I want to be like Jesus for you in this moment, right? I want to hear. I want to help you come to the one who can help you, which isn't me, but God is the one. He knows it all. He can handle this. But the only way to do that, we got to set a good temperature we got to understand that we need to speak words of life over our children. And then thirdly, we need to understand that we need to promote connection through rest. When we do that, loving earnestly, serving hospitably, using the gifts God, the way God made you as his mother or her mother is absolutely a giftedness that is unique to you that is desperately needed by your child. You need to understand that. It will bring glory to God. I want you to know that this is hard. This is hard, hard work. And you are plowing ground that a lot of times feels stiff and hard and rocky, and you're not sure if you're making any headway. And I'm going to implore you to keep plowing the ground. Keep praying. God invites you to pray to Him about all of this. He's got it, He knows your child inside and out. If you want more encouragement about this, about how you can actively pray for your child, or even if you just need someone else, we are creating a community for this that is going to be coming live this summer, and you need to be inside of it. You also need to go and find my course. It's called Reset, Resetting Your Mind in Motherhood so that you can see the gospel as the lens through which you see your very life, every part of your life, you need that course. My friend, I want to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram. If this has been encouraging to you, I want to encourage you to send it to your friends. Because I promise you're not the only one with a moody kid. You're not the only one struggling and not knowing how to do this and reading every single book that's coming out. I've been there. I've done it. But 
the hope that we have is that God is absolutely committed to bringing glory to His name. And so when we line up with that, then it is beautiful what God does. Thank you for joining me today at the table. Thanks for listening this week to the Warrior Mama podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support other Warrior Mamas, I'll tell you that one of the best ways that you can do is you can just share this podcast with your friends. You know, sometimes we love to talk about the things we like the most for our face, for our life, for our kids. Can I tell you that it would be a great blessing to begin to share with other moms the things that God is teaching you and the ways that He is growing you in Him. Our prayer over here at the Warrior Mama Podcast is that this podcast is something that does that for you in your life. So feel free to share it with your friends, post about it on social media, and of course, leave a rating and a review. I love seeing what God is doing in your lives. And I look forward to sitting with you at the kitchen table again next week.